0: You're listening to the Conversations with Kids Peace podcast, advice, information, and inspiration from experts at the leading provider of mental and behavioral health services for children, adults, and those who love them. Now, here's your host.
1: Hello, and welcome to our podcast series, Conversations with Kids Peace. I'm Bob Martin. The fall winter issue of Kids Pieces Healing Magazine has just been published with a special section devoted to de-escalation, the necessary step of calming a person in crisis so that they can interact with their caregivers and move forward toward healing. On the Special Healing Magazine edition of the podcast, we'll talk with one of our writers about a comprehensive program for de-escalation in the clinical environment and how it represents an evolution in thinking about the issue. But first... The issue of suicide has been in the forefront of popular culture over the past year, with the cases of celebrities Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain, combined with the popularity on TV of Netflix's 13 Reasons Why and the Tony Award-winning Broadway musical Dear Evan Hansen. How does that attention affect therapists who are treating at-risk populations? The latest Healing Magazine features an article examining that question, and its author, Jamie Pfister, is with us now. Jamie, welcome.
2: Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: Jamie, in your article, you note that more pop culture and media references to suicide can have both positive and negative effects. What are some examples of those?
2: Yeah. so as a society, I think we oftentimes are intrigued by celebrities and the lives that they live. Um, I enjoy reality TV probably a little too much, um, but because of that interest, we also get fixated on their tragedies as well. So we as a society have to be very careful about how we're reporting those suicides um, and reporting those suicides with caution, with compassion. Uh, with empathy. And if we do that, we can start to change the public's misperceptions around suicide. So we start that conversation and we're able to persuade those young people to to then seek help. Um, So the pros of this is if we can report those suicides with caution, with empathy, with compassion, then we get resources out there. Uh, We oftentimes see those those reports and those news coverage uh, with the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline number, which is you know, 1-800-273-TALK. Um, and those are the really, the, the really uh, positive things that we're doing. We're getting resources to people that may not have had those resources available to them. Uh, on the flip side of that, uh, when we do have a really vulnerable population, that may be struggling with their own mental health uh, we could see an increased risk for them and their risk factors based on how often they're reporting the magnitude of that suicide the details of that suicide and also uh, the prominence of that that person that had passed
1: there's really kind of a catch-22 in that because if it is a prominent individual who um, who decides to commit suicide um, there's so much interest in getting all of the details possible, and yet, as you say, they they almost uh, pave the way for that thinking for someone who may be at risk. Right. You had in your article uh, a tremendous illustration of how we how we think about the prevalence of suicide in the United States. It's a very compelling analogy involving airplanes. Can you just go through that for our listeners?
2: Yeah, I can. Um, So myself and also one of our clinical managers, um, Jess Racine, here at Kids Peace are both instructors in this really great... Suicide prevention training called QPR, and what QPR does is it gives us a breakdown of some of our risk factors and indicators um, and some warning signs. But it also gives us those statistics, and so everyone loves a good statistic. Um, but oftentimes we forget to put those statistics in context. Right. And so uh, annually, we know that the it's estimated around forty-five thousand people die by suicide in this country Um, and so that equates to something around 125 people a day Uh, so think about the last flight you took Uh, go to california you get on that airplane there's about 140 people on that plane and so think about that plane going down and and all of those lives being lost Um, and then think about the next day that same plane going down again and then the next day. Uh, how how often or how frequent do you think that that airport's gonna go, hey, there might be a problem here right, right. <laughs> with these airplanes. And if you're on that passenger flight the next day, you probably might rethink getting on that plane. And so there's that social responsibility um, that QPR talks about. We as a community have to intervene. And I think we do that by asking those questions. Um, and they're difficult questions. And so I think people oftentimes don't ask those questions because they're afraid of that answer. So I think when we talk about those statistics, we really talk about that social responsibility to intervene, to ask, are you okay? Do you need something? Are you thinking about killing yourself?
1: and 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 making people understand um, that that their circle of friends or circle of family understand that if some if you feel somebody is at risk um you know it it's it's not it's not an unusual thing to happen in the united states and that's what really struck me about that was like it's you know 45,000 people a year that's you know uh, very sad to say but that's that's a that becomes in the realm of a common occurrence right and uh, and as you say, we have so many examples of where we're doing things to try to get that word out. And that's the other the, the next question goes to that I, I wanted to ask, which is in your opinion, what are media outlets doing to address the concerns about I guess you would call them copycat suicides when you have things like Ms. Spade or Mr. Bourdain and all the coverage and all the the people who are talking about how, you know they were missed, and they they were so important. Um, what are, what what's the media coverage doing that you think is right to handle that that part of the, that facet of the issue?
2: Right. So historically, we we have seen suicide rates jump after after celebrity um, suicides, and that's going back to the 1960s with Marilyn Monroe and Kurt Cobain and, and Robin Williams. Um, and so because of that, because we saw such a spike after those incidents, uh, the media has put in these in in place these guidelines so now when any news article any media coverage any netflix series that is getting put out that's based on suicide uh, they're now required to have those crisis intervention hotlines and also the 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 national um, suicide prevention lifeline Um, so that in itself if we can accompany those Articles and those those news news media's um, with that prevention lifeline. I think it's important to get that that communication out. Um, we've also seen a lot of news media coverage based change its course a little bit and talk more about hope and talk more about prevention and talk more about seeking help rather than the suicide itself and the details and, around that. And the that.
1: period details around right, it. You right. know, um, and that, uh, now, w- your article talks really specifically about the, the therapeutic environment because really it's a question of amidst all this stuff in the popular culture and on the news and on, on Facebook, etc., Therapists, What do they have to keep in mind in dealing with young people who they view as being at risk to suicide amid all this popular culture sort of chatter about it?
2: Um, so I'm going to talk about uh, the, a little bit more of a general general terms because therapists, um, they have their assessments, they talk about suicide, and they're, they're trained with all of those skills. But I think from a public health perspective, the people that need the skills are, are therapists as well, but also coaches, guidance counselors, teachers... Uh, husbands and wives and neighbors, like all of those people. So I think the most important thing for those people to understand is is A, we have to have those conversations. We have to ask those difficult questions. Um, and they're hard, it's hard to get out of your, your mouth. Um, and we also have to start identifying those, those risk factors and those warning signs um, early on. Um, and being genuine, be genuine, be empathetic when you ask those questions. Um, non-judgmental when you ask those questions (laughs) Um, and i think that no matter what you're talking about with social media netflix um, we're having the conversation using those things to have a conversation so if your child or if a person you know is watching that netflix series you can say hey what are you watching how does that make you feel have you ever felt this way before and then it opens up dialogue and i think the more we talk the, the more frequently we can save lives.
1: That's fantastic. That's yeah. Um, well, first of all, thanks for coming in today. Appreciate it. No problem. Uh, Thank we you. We ask each of our guests for what we call a life hack. I'm not going to say it's the most favorite thing <laughs> they have to do to come here, but basically life hack, in our view, is a piece of advice, a tip on how to do something around the house better, maybe a little inspiration that gets you through the day. So. Jamie, what's your life hack?
2: So this was difficult for me as well. I'm <laughs> sure everyone says that. Um, but last year, I got the opportunity to go to a, a trauma training. And, and when they were talking, the presenter was talking about that golden rule. And everyone knows the golden rule, right? We've been talking about that since we were in kindergarten. Right. Treat everyone as if um, th- that's how you want to be treated. And this woman who was presenting started talking about this silver rule. And I was like, I don't know this rule. I should know this. And she said that the silver rule is to treat people the way you'd want your grandmother to be treated
1: and so that struck
2: me because i'm like well i want you to treat my grandmother way better than you treat me. yeah you can do that
1: to me but don't do it to grandma right right. so that's something
2: that stuck with me so it's not my life hack but i thought i'd pass it on well we're gonna we're
1: gonna make we're gonna assign it to you because that's a that's a (laughs) fabulous one thank you so much thank you jamie fister is the trauma focused program and staff development specialist at kids peace in pennsylvania and her article addressing suicide amid popular culture is in the latest issue of Healing Magazine. Jamie, thanks again for joining us.
2: Yeah, thank you, Bob.
1: It's simple common sense. Before you can help someone in crisis, you have to calm them down. In a clinical or therapeutic setting, sometimes that's not very easy to do. The latest issue of Healing Magazine examines several de-escalation approaches in place in our operations at Kid's One of those goes by the Japanese-inspired name of Yukiru, And we welcome the president of Yukiru Systems, Kim Sanders, to our podcast. Kim, thanks for talking with us.
3: Thanks so much for having me.
1: In your Healing Magazine article, you talk about the philosophy of comfort versus control as being central to the Yukiru system. Can you explain what's happening there?
3: Absolutely. So that philosophy is so important because really the first thing we need to sort of acknowledge and agree upon is that... We all have bad days. Like all of us um, have those days that just don't go the way we planned. And we want to make sure that folks have an understanding and, and truly acknowledge that there are certain things that we need when we're having that bad day. So the thing that we need the most is support and comfort, not someone controlling us or giving us more demands or putting more pressure on us. And the bottom line is that the folks that we're serving have bad days, too, (laughs) and that what they need and the desired response they want is really no different than what we want.
1: Now, uh, Ukiru uh, Systems is part of Grafton Integrated Health Network, and in your article you talk about the necessity for Grafton to accomplish cultural change in order to give the initiative that became ukiro a chance at success how did they accomplish that in your in your opinion
3: i mean really the first step was trying to create an atmosphere of comfort and support um, again not just for the folks that we're working with the clients we're serving but also for our employees um, and because you really can't get the buy-in or you you really can't ha- expect people to have an openness to changing something that they've done for years and years and years which then you know breeds the culture if people don't feel valued and supported themselves so that whole philosophy of comfort versus control you know the very first step and such a key step in creating that culture flip for us was making sure that that was in place for everyone
1: and when you say everyone you mean top to bottom right
3: Absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely not just how teachers treat students or just how residential staff treat students, but it's also how it treats managers and how managers treat staff and, and in, in general, just how we treat each other. It has to be with the, the same philosophy.
1: Now, now, in our field, we hear the term trauma informed a lot. What does that term mean in in the case of how Yukiru's philosophy is supposed to work?
3: Well, number one, again, we have to get to, like, I guess you could say the basics of acknowledging that the students that we work with, by the nature of sometimes their disabilities or the struggles that they faced in their life, that they have a trauma history. Um, I'm sure at Kids Peace, just like at Grafton, the individuals that you're serving, sometimes this is not their first residential placement. Sometimes it's their seventh or their eighth. And so even if they haven't experienced what we would consider a big T trauma, they've probably had a lot of little T traumas along the way that depending on may have the same type of effect. So it's really sort of our, our duty to make sure that we're, we are being trauma-informed, that we're being extra sensitive, and definitely being aware of that trauma history that they bring with them.
1: In the article, I was really taken with that you you highlight the work of an elementary school in Tennessee that's really helping kids achieve and succeed despite the adverse childhood experiences that their students may have had. What are they doing right, in your opinion?
3: Oh my goodness, that school, it's Fall Hamilton Elementary in Nashville, Tennessee, and they have this uh, dynamic principal, Matthew Portell, and they're doing a lot of things right. Um, you know, he is making sure that he's in the building. So this is a public school. He's making sure that there's expertise in that building around mental health needs of students, and as, as well as just trauma-informed approaches. And then they're doing so many things from, again, making sure everyone feels safe first, making sure that um, the environment is as comfortable as possible they're doing things with low lighting they're doing things with scents Um, just again making it super comfortable so even if a child in that school maybe in their home environment maybe it's not the greatest that they definitely have a sanctuary or a place that they feel safe when they come to school and again all of this together is doing nothing but building stronger and stronger relationships between the adults in that school and the students and so they, they really have um, hit the ground running and, and are definitely a model.
1: Yeah, they sound like a, a model case of that walking the walk as well as talking the talk that you mentioned earlier.
3: Absolutely. It's it's so important.
1: Now, the physical manifestation of ukyru in the therapeutic environment, for example, here at Kid's Piece, is um, basically these soft pads that are used. And, and ukiru as I understand it, um, is uh, comes from the Japanese for receive, and the idea is that if you're having a situation where someone is in crisis, they might be acting out, you're receiving that uh, in a way that's not threatening and that they can feel um, uh, safe uh, to, to kind of calm down with it. Can you describe what these pads are, like how they're used for the folks that are listening to us on audio and may not quite understand what I just said? <laughs>
3: yeah absolutely absolutely um so just when we, it's, it's it's pretty simple, so the whole idea would be if you're coming at me and you're trying to hit me in the face, that it's just logical that i for if I have something in, in a defensive way to keep myself safe. so when we first started at Grafton we started with bean bags and couch cushions and throw pillows, and again the sort of the, the guide, was it just has to be soft. Now, that alone helped us a lot, but then over time, our staff were coming to us saying, like, oh, when I'm holding the bean bag, my, my hands are still being scratched, or, you know, the, the beans are flat now, and they're all going to the bottom, and I need something a little bit sturdier. Um, so what happened is we literally put pen to paper, and we started drawing. Everything that our staff was saying, they were saying, like, I want four handles here. And instead of just two, I want it to be a little thicker, a little wider. And so what we created are a series of blocking pads in many different shapes and sizes that are truly used simply as a shield. They are not used in an offensive way at all, but just totally defend. What we found is, you know, it's almost... It was almost magical when it first started happening at Grafton because truly if I have something to keep myself safe, then my whole frame of mind changes. Sort of like my, my own amygdala is not firing and creating this chaos in my brain when I am safe. So when I'm safe, I can be kinder, more compassionate, more caring, and I can sort of stick in there with you when you're having a hard time.
1: And one of the fascinating things uh, is that the pads are actually in the environment all the time. It's not something that's, like, carted out when there's a crisis that's there, right?
3: Absolutely, and that's what we highly recommend. We love that. We We want those to be in the environment. Um, we don't want them behind a desk or in a closet because, we, you know, we want kids to feel comfortable. We want them to feel a sense of security that those are in the area, that it's something to help you be safe. And again, they shouldn't be, you know, we want them. Like we have a body shield that makes great, makes great forts. We have a flex shield that can be an amazing lap desk. Like we like walking into environments and seeing just people, the kids just totally comfortable with them.
1: That's fantastic. If folks wanted to get more information about Yukiru, what's the best way?
3: The best way is to just check out our website. Um, We do have a lot of different things on our website. That's ukerusystems.com. So it's ukerusystems.com. We have a lot of information. The other cool thing is we do do um, routine webinars. And uh, so they're all archived on there. So even if folks don't have a chance to join us, uh, they can go back anytime and look at them. So there's a lot lot of information there.
1: And I, I apologize, I should have said that at the beginning. The the word is ukeru, it's U-K-E-R-U, and so it's And Kim, we ask all of our guests for this, so what's your life hack for our audience?
3: Um, well, this one, I was thinking about this a little bit, and, you know, here recently I've been traveling a lot because we're training around the country often. And so I find myself in airports, um, you know, waiting on flights and being on crowded airplanes with people. I mean, I feel like I'm around people that I don't particularly know um, a lot. And something really struck me a couple weeks ago. I was in an airport, and I feel like there was just one instance after another of just people being kind. And so I guess... We live in a world where everywhere you turn, social media, TV, break rooms. I mean, again, you know, you hear a lot of people saying, I don't know what's happening to our world. I don't know what's happening to our country. People are focusing a lot on negative things. And what I find when I travel is that there's a lot of good in this world. And there's a lot of amazing people who are just being super kind to each other. And, again, if you go set in an airport, you see one instance after another of people helping each other, people letting people in lines in front of them, just a super kindness that if you're not in it and if you're just standing back like watching all the things that feed us information, you, you just don't get it. And so I would just say to, to take a second and just focus on the kindness that's all around us. That it's there. We just have to, you know, make a decision to focus on it.
1: <laughs> and, and certainly in an airport, you might say superficially, that's an environment in which you wouldn't necessarily expect that. It's a lot of exactly. stress and a lot of craziness going on. And well, that's fantastic. Kim Sanders is president of Yukiru Systems. Her article about the Yukiru approach is in the latest issue of Healing Magazine from Kids Peace. Kim, again, thanks for joining us today.
3: Thanks so much for having me.
1: In the Healing High Fives feature in the latest Healing Magazine, Kidsby senior clinician Eric Sell reviews a new book, Fighting Back. It's the story of Kayla Harrison, America's first Olympic champion in Judo, who revealed that as a young athlete, she had been subject to repeated sexual abuse by her coach. Her insights are combined with perspectives from two clinical professionals from Harvard Medical School in the book. Eric Sell joins us now. Eric, welcome. Good morning. So let's start with just you describing the book and the premise of the book in your own words. The book's
0: title is Fighting Back. Um, I think it's interesting on two different levels. One specifically related to Kayla Harrison being a judo champion and obviously engaged in a form of fighting. Um, The second is that of her being a victim of and survivor of sexual abuse. However, I think it's uh, probably most poignant because she chooses to identify with the idea of fighting back and doesn't identify with being either a victim or um, a survivor.
1: Interesting. Now, um, I, we see a lot of these books um, from folks who have who are sharing their instances. But we were talking just before we went on about the inclusion of content and comments from the professionals connected with Harvard Medical School. Do you find that that made the book more meaningful in terms of what you were able to get out of it?
0: Absolutely. Um, It's a very interesting book from my perspective because oftentimes um, in our field, we're reading um, nonfiction. And while this remains nonfiction, it's it's a collaboration of a triad um, of authors. It's Kayla. And from her first-person perspective, which is just amazing, it's very, very touching in that regard because she shares throughout the book um, volumes of her own personal journals and she had journaled throughout the entire ordeal and then subsequent to it. Along with that, besides Kayla lending that kind of personal anecdotal perspective, which is very touching. Um, Then the inclusion of both her therapist Who helped her going through the process along with a psychiatrist affiliated with both the therapist and Kayla personally because he was involved in the same kind of interest in judo. Um, They really give a well-rounded and really thorough kind
1: of representation of all that's going on. That's very interesting because you 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 have that combination of the professional expertise and looking at it through a clinical eye, but you also have that personal element, especially with the journals. That that's really uh, surprising that someone has that. I th- would think, but um, so if if somebody asks you, "Is this book valuable for me? I'm, I'm a f- professional in the treatment field. Would it be valuable for me to read that book?" I think this
0: book is rather invaluable um it's it's very very well done um and again because it is so touching i think that's one of the aspects that makes it so fascinating um if we're doing work with clients who have suffered trauma um via abuse um in this case specifically sexual abuse to have one gain perspective from their mind's eye view um, It's very helpful, and you see a transformation over the course of time. She is journaling and sharing in the book her experiences from the age of 12 up to the point of her disclosure at age 16, and then further on into her early 20s when she becomes an advocate. Um, But beyond it lending to um, a really full appreciation and the ability to empathize with this client, if you will, that would be from the therapist's perspective. Um, the book is also of great value to treating professionals as well. Um, I think in some cases would be parents in sharing how this abuse comes to pass, how complicated, nuanced, and subtle um, so the, some of the deviances, is. And then, again, from a truly clinical perspective, um, how conflicted, and how many how many mixed emotions these clients can experience? Um, for example, being both in love and at the same time hating their perpetrator.
1: It it just it was a, an amazing story with an amazing person, uh, and and as you say, it goes much deeper. and And we really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to review it for us. So you're one of our guests. We always ask our guests. What's your life hack today?
0: Oh, my life hack today is the same as it is every day. Um, never give up. Never give in. Always pursue excellence. And treat people the way you would like to be treated. Outstanding.
1: Eric Sell is a senior clinician at Kids Peace, and his review of Fighting Back by Kayla Harrison with Cynthia Kaplan and Blaise Aguirre is in the latest issue of Healing Magazine. Eric, thank you for joining us.
0: You're welcome. My pleasure.
1: And once again, thanks to Jamie, Kim, Eric and everybody who contributed articles to this issue of Healing Magazine. To view electronic copies of the latest issue and back issues of Healing Magazine, just go to www.healingmagazine.org. You can also there subscribe to receive the paper copy of future issues. The Conversations with Kids Peace podcast is produced by Robbie Allred and Bob Martin. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having you join us again for more Conversations with Kid's Peace. Take care. If you have comments, questions, or suggestions about our Conversations podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Go to www.kidspeace.org to learn more about the series and share your thoughts.